0: Hi there, my name is Beth Hale. I'm a partner at CM Murray, and I'm here with my partner Emma Bartlett, uh, also a partner at CM Murray. And we're just going to talk a little bit today about collective redundancies and the obligations that employers have to consult collectively with trade unions and employees uh, when they are planning to make a large number of people redundant. And we're talking about this largely in light of the recent PO saga, the sort of scandal around what PO did when they made 800 people, they dismissed 800 staff um it's come up in the press as well recently in relation to other employers so there, there's been a recent case involving tm lewin um for those of you who uh who listen to radio four you might have also heard something about some uh failure to consult on a redundancy in the arches so you know it's all over the place um so <laughs> emma perhaps i can ask you to start by just telling us what collective consultation is what what the obligations are on employers
1: say so, uh, the obligation to consult collectively arises under statute section 188 of the Trade Union and Labour Relations Act and in essence if you are an employer and you anticipate making 20 or more employees um, redundant within a 90 day period there are some specified periods during which the employer needs to consult with those affected employees collectively and that means either with um, a recognised trade union or otherwise with um, a group of employee representative for that purpose of the collective consultation and I should just mention that redundancies under the Trade Union and Relations Act um, is broader than the definition that most employment lawyers use on a day-to-day basis under the Employment Rights Act. Um, it's not just where there is a, um, a place of work, closure or a reduction in work of a particular kind or removal of a job, it's, um, it's where they anticipate uh, dismissals of, of that number. Um, and so it's a broader definition of redundancies. It can,
0: in some circumstances, include um, circumstances where employers are trying to make wholesale changes to terms and conditions um, if the result of someone not agreeing to those terms and conditions would be that their employment be terminated.
1: Yeah, that's right. So um, I would say in the last 12 months uh, the, these provisions have been in the press for that purpose, where you've got large employers such as British Gas and Weetabix um, who were looking to replace, um, to vary contracts. And so they weren't looking to make redundancies in the traditional sense. There wasn't a place of work closure, but they were looking to get rid of contracts which were out of date and um, perhaps they have expensive shift patterns in there which were no longer fit for purpose and were making the um, organisations um, not competitive. So they were having to undertake these collective consultations. comply with these provisions. Just one final bit, and this is to say that if it's um, 20 to um, to 99 employees within a 90 day period, then um, the consultation period is 30 days. If it's um, 100 or more employees within a 90 day period, the consultation period is 45 days. Um, And there is an obligation right at the outset, um, once you've reached the conclusion that that's the potential number of redundancies um, is to complete the employer needs to complete a form hr1 which is sent through to the secretary of state to notify them of uh, mass redundancies um and i assume that's for public policy reasons so that um either the government can step in or the government can uh, be aware from a social reason that there are going to be redundancies of this nature in this area and then look to um, implement.
0: That. It's sort of um, alert local job centres and things like that, isn't it? I think certainly historically. Yeah. It's also worth saying, I think, that the, we talk about, we talk quite broadly about a consultation period of 30 days or a consultation period of 45 days. There's obviously no obligation, well, not obviously, but there is no obligation on the parties to sit down and talk for the full length of that period. What it means is they have, the, the parties must consult, the employer must consult with the employee reps. And no one, no redundancy, no dismissal can take effect until 30 days after that consultation has started. But if if they consult effectively and properly and that consultation comes to an end because no agreement can be reached or agreement is reached, um, then that you know the consultation, they don't have to sit around a table without leaving the room for they're not kind of locked in a room to consult for 30 days or 45 days. So we that that when we talk about consultation period, it's quite a broad sort of using quite a broad brush term, but they're not having to sit there for that period.
1: No. Employers don't really like doing it because it gives advance notice of something awful that's about to happen to the business, or not awful in other other senses, where there's maybe the variations to contract that they're trying to bring in might not be awful for the employees, but Mm -hmm. it's giving that advance notice and giving a great deal of information to employee representatives that you wouldn't normally, as an employer, feel that you're obliged to do.
0: Including things around that they're obliged to consult around the reasons for the redundancies. So, sort of why you know why they're planning, why they're making these plans, and why they're uh, implementing these proposals. And and that some of that might be commercially sensitive. There might be you know acquisitions, there might be mergers, there might you know there there might be really commercially sensitive information there, which employers are often reluctant to share with with the workforce. Yeah.
1: But um, essentially, the purpose is to allow the um, employee representatives to understand the reasons, but to ask questions as well. And then to look at how they can mitigate the impact of the proposals um, or look for attentive jobs, or if there is going to be um, any enhanced redundancy payments, um, negotiate around that collectively. Um, and so, yeah, that's essentially in a nutshell what the collective consultation obligations are.
0: And I think that so that, as I was like I said in my intro the the sort of big one that's hit the news recently is is o where they made this huge number of staff redundant they dismissed them um, and they didn't go through any of this they didn't notify the secretary of state um, and just importantly not well there's, there's potential quirks to this in relation to pno but generally not notifying the secretary of state not completing that form hr1 can give rise to criminal liability for directors so it's quite a you know potentially quite a big deal not to do that um but how did pno get away with it when how, how did they sort of manage not to not to comply with their obligations in this way
1: yeah that's a good question so the, the um I should mention that under the Trade Union Labour Relations Act, if an employer fails to comply, other than the criminal liability potential for failing to complete their uh, notification to the Secretary of State, the um, employees could be entitled to a protective award, um, which is up to 90 days pay per individual. And that's
0: actual pay, isn't it? Not there's no sort of cap on
1: that, as there is yeah. in other areas. Yeah. So um, for an employer you might be saving some time in getting to the end result um, and apart from the fact that it's really bad for employee relations not to follow um, the statutory, um, is that these employees are going to be entitled to up to 90 days pay so um, the way PO got around this or they didn't really get around it but what they've done is they offered each of the affected employees who were dismissed on the spot without having gone through the collective consultation obligations compensation equal to what would have been that maximum protective award for each of them subject to a statutory settlement agreement
0: essentially they sort of bought their way out of their obligations as well as their obligations in respect of things like unfair dismissal um i think i mean this is anecdotal rather than any inside knowledge but um i think only one Person one, ex po employee, has, has um, pursued a claim, and the, the, all the others have signed up to their agreements. And um, uh, I think, you know, so they have. You know, PNO have PR issues aside, do um, seem to have sort of got away with not complying with the law in that way, which is quite interesting. And I think there's there's another little quirk to it, which is that um, technically the claim for a protective award is not one that can be settled in a, in a statutory settlement agreement. So you can't effectively waive your right to bring a claim for a protective award in a, in a settlement agreement. You can arguably do it by way of a COP3 involving ACAS, but ordinarily you can't do it via a settlement agreement. But what p have done is essentially said, well, um, try to circum... Well, they have probably successfully circumvented that by saying um, we're going to pay you... What you would have got, and so if, if these individuals were then to bring a claim for a protective award, which would have to be done via the representatives, um, the, the tribunal would take into account the fact that PNO had essentially compensated them for their failure to consult. So, although they haven't waived their claims, effectively, probably um, query what benefit there would be in actually pursuing that.
1: Yeah, and no doubt in those settlement agreements there is a provision um, where PNO can. Come after them for the costs associated with any claims which they ostensibly agreed not to bring.
0: Yes, okay. obviously, I haven't seen the terms of the PNO settlement agreements, but they may uh, delay payment until after the time limit has expired. As a, I mean, that you know, there are ways of yeah, of
1: discouraging you know, people from pursuing yeah. those claims. Yeah,
0: and it puts the individuals. I mean, in, in the individuals affected by the PO dismissals, while they were treated horribly and I don't think anyone would seek to defend that that way of managing things um they they were left with a, the, their choice was either sign up and get the money or or sort of follow a quite protracted and lengthy process through the employment tribunal which is a pretty pretty unattractive option so it was a pretty stark choice mm. so I mentioned as well some other recent cases and there's there's been a case involving T.M. Lewin the suit suit and shirt makers i think um recently i wonder if you could just talk about that a bit
1: so in the middle of the pandemic in um 2020 in the summer tm lewin closed um all of its stores nationally and um made i think it was 600 staff redundant Um, and again they they didn't comply with any collective consultation obligations despite the fact that um there was employees being made redundant within a 90 day period. And the reason why um, I understand they didn't comply with the collective consultation obligations was because under the strict wording of um, section 188 of the Trade Union Labor Relations Act, the obligation applies in relation to 20 or more employees from the same establishment within a 90 day period. So we then get into looking at, well, what's the definition of an establishment? And there's been much case law on this over the years. There was a recent case, though, which um, has put this back in the news, uh, where 101 former employees from TM Lewin brought a a case in the Employment Tribunal seeking their protective award for failure by TM Lewin, um, which went into administration to um, collectively consult. And um, in this case, the employment tribunal found in their favour, and it's been reported that each of these 101 employees has got access to uh, a sum of money, which is just in excess of £4,000 per employee, but from the um, government insolvency service, because obviously their former employer was in um, administration, so you then have recourse to um, a public pot, as it were, to um, payments that are due to you in respect of your employment. So um, it, individually, um, just over 4000 um, pounds, not a huge sum, but collectively more than 101 employees. Um, that's a large amount of money. So we're we'll talking a minute about the what we consider the definition of establishment is to understand whether it was right for the tribunal to reach that decision. When I started looking into this, because I hadn't, until it was reported recently, been aware that um, this claim had been um, successful, and uh, I found two other employment tribunal decisions um, made earlier this year in favor uh, favor of the administrator, Uh, two other claims brought by a handful of employees in each case. in connection with the same facts, that they were made redundant, there was no collective consultation, and therefore we should have our protective awards. And those other two tribunals said, you're not entitled to them. And the reason being um, is because each establishment, i.e. the stores in which you work, there were less than 20 employees. And typically, if you've ever been into a TM Lewin store, they're quite small, um, or they were quite small. And there were um, typically between six and 12 employees per store in total. So if you take a store as being the establishment, then the, the test hasn't been met for collective consultation under the Trade Union and Labour Relations Act. Um, and I don't know if you, uh, you, you will remember when all of the Woolworth stores closed um, a few years I think ago. Because I was heard about the loss of pick and mix. I know, oh, I'm still missing it now. No. <laughs> But in those cases, again, it brought it to the fore, and um, it it seems to me that the Woolworths decision, which again looked at whether the correct interpretation of establishment should have been each store in which the employees were working, or whether it would be um, the region by which these employees were organised, um, which again was an argument that has been advanced by some of the former T M Lewin employees to say, well, actually, you know, we either work in the north or we work in central London or greater London or the southwest, and that's the, that's the establishment, it's not each particular store. But um, yeah, I think in this case, TM Lewin may have got away with um, not complying with mm-hmm. that purpose, just simply because if you look at the, if you follow the Woolworths decision, then um, a store is the establishment and not the region which would easily capture 20 or more um, employees at any one time.
0: So that would suggest that the the recent T.M. Lewin case involving these 101 101 employees might might be at risk if it were to be appealed?
1: It could be at risk. Um, Employment tribunal decisions are first instant decisions. And so another employment tribunal isn't obliged to follow the decision of another employment tribunal. They are determined largely on their same facts. And then if there's a point of law that one party believes it's wrong, then they may appeal to the Employment Appeals Tribunal. Decisions of the Employment Appeals Tribunal can bind employment tribunals. So at the moment, this is a decision of an employment tribunal, and it's not binding. And yeah, I think it could be at risk.
0: Because they are bound, employment tribunals, by the Woolworths case, which went all the way up to the European Court of Justice. It It
1: did. Yeah, it did. And as I said, that decision has certainly been followed in other multi-store, mass redundancies mm. um, in the UK, such as Littlewoods
0: and Comet. Yeah. So just thinking about sort of practical tips for employers and also for employees, if you find yourself in, you know, for, um, in this kind of position. So I think first one for employers is just to be really aware of what your obligations are. Um, and I don't think anyone would wholeheartedly recommend the approach that p took. Um, it's obviously had a massive impact on their um, sort of, well, on PR and, and, and you know, how people view them as a company. But I think it, it's also, it, it's a tricky area of law. So just, um, you know, th- know what your obligations are and think about how you want to manage those obligations.
1: Definitely. A, a lot of these organisations have moved their business online, obviously not p but Woolworths went online. And I think TM Lewin have, still got an online arm so if if they had taken the same approach as pno and and ruined their um public or done serious damage to their public image then that could um seriously impact whatever part of the business remains Um, Taking legal advice is is quite reasonable in the circumstances given that this seems to be a move number one it's a moving feast in relation to um the law Um, and number two it's very much in the public domain because um the impact of movements in the job market at the moment is something which is the press are taking a keen interest in
0: yeah and I think there's you're never going to be able to deal with I mean the, the cases of of huge numbers of employees like you're talking about with P&O are going to be few and far between aren't they but you know if you're if, if there are a large number of people involved you're not realistically going to be able to keep that quiet so I think um Sort of thinking about not just the legal implications, but also the sort of PR implications and the impact on your reputation as an organisation is really important. And then I think if you're an individual um, who is put at risk of redundancy in this way, or who is you know um, subjected involved in a collective consultation process, I think I think importantly ask lots of questions, find out what what is happening, why, how, what impact is going to have on you. Um, and again, be aware of your rights. And I think that is probably people are probably more aware of their rights after the PNO scandal. I think that people are now more aware of what their rights might be, and and indeed what they what rights they don't have. Because I think people were quite shocked that that PNO could do that, and that there there weren't sort of ramifications for them, and that the organisations can effectively buy their way out of their obligations in the UK in that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was essentially a cost-saving measure. Mm. But knowing that your employer should have, if the collective consultation obligations should have been notifying the government, um, that's, that's quite an important um, piece of information for an employee to yeah. retain. And again, so take legal advice in that regard as well.
0: Yeah, and look up, you know, find, use resources like ACAS um, and, you know, the government website to find out what your rights are. I think it's really important to know what you're dealing with and what they should have done yeah excellent thanks so much emma it's been a really interesting chat and um thanks for listening good to talk to you thanks very much